Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. All right, we are back with another episode of the Claptrap. It is the Wednesday episode of the week, and I have brought Andrew on to talk everything football. We had a lot of crazy football stuff going on yesterday. It was the uh, official day to put in the franchise tag for everyone, and the Patriots did not use it on J.C. Jackson, so we're going to get into that specifically, but also some crazy news going on around the league with Aaron Rodgers' news. We had a big trade with Russell Wilson involved. Going to get into all of that. But we're also going to start off the show a little differently than we normally do. So first of all, just real quick, Andrew, just happy to have you back on. Just going to say hi. I, I mean, I know that yesterday was crazy for you as well. So are you a little overwhelmed by all the news yesterday? Or are you feeling pretty good now that the offseason has kicked off so crazy-like? Where are you at with your... I'm never overwhelmed by the amount of news. I am an advocate for the chaos. Give me more. Give me more trades today, please. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, it was it was fun. The fact that the news just kept popping up left and right, and we were you know seeing quarterbacks change conferences and all this other crazy stuff. It, it was it was wild, and I was happy to be able to have it to to kind of yeah reinvigorate the football season. Very exciting stuff. But as I said. We're going to start off today's show, actually, a little differently because we have some fan mail that we have to go over was sent in to the station to read about the show. So just wanted to read this off first. I, I haven't shown it to Andrew yet, so we're going to get into that and, uh, and, and see what this nice fan has to say about the Claptrap. They've been listening long. So this message is from a man by the name of Blank Frank. He says, would it be possible for you to spend more than a half hour perhaps an hour and then some, talking about the Bruins' trade possibilities. Is there anyone other than your imaginary girlfriend who listens to your authoritative and incessive sports blather? Just give up, man. You haven't demonstrated any potential for a future in sports broadcasting. You're just a pathetic, mimicking bore. Blank Frank. I gotta say, thank you, first of all, for tuning in to every show. I really appreciate that. I'm sure that you're out there listening right now to everything that I have to say about your awesome fan mail. But, uh, Andrew, I gotta, I gotta ask, what do you think now about one of our great fans listening to the show and what he has to say? I mean, regardless of what the message is in the mail, love or hate, I mean, that sounds kind of like a little odd combination of both. I'm not sure exactly where Blank Frank's, um, you know, what he's doing emotionally over there. But first thing that caught my eye was, or my ear rather, was he said, you know, nobody but your pretend girlfriend's listening to the show. Well, clearly you are, Frank. Very, very clearly you are. And you know what? Love it or hate it, nobody really cares because you're tuning in. And that's all that matters. It is. That's I, that's a great way to put it. I, I, I just... Once you get a hater or two, that's when you really know that somebody's listening to you. But uh, we're going to continue going on with these great sports takes about every trade that the Bruins are going to have. We'll do hours of it for you, Blank Frank, if that's what you need to stay entertained by the show. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to show that uh, a little bit of a uh, fan mail. And, and it was a great way to start off the show, I think. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. So thank you, Blank Frank. I hope you're out there listening. I hope you get more entertainment from this great show that we put on every single week. But yes, no, <laughs> I mean, hey, you're doing something right when you have some haters out there, right? I, I mean, I know I, I like a good hate every once in a while myself. I do it all the time. Card-carrying member of the LeBron James hate club, all of that. 
So I can get some good hate out there too. But thank you. Thank you, Frank, for sending that in. Keep it coming. We also have it on WKKL.FM. You can click that blue uh, microphone marker if you ever want to leave a voicemail as well or something for the show. I just want to say if you are having any trouble finding that little microphone icon, anything like that, or how to access the pod, you know, anything like that, uh, just ask Frank. He knows. He very clearly knows. <laughs> yes, he does. Oh, man. And, and I love that. I love that. Number one fan out there, Frankie boy. But yes, we have some great topics to talk about today. So we might as well get into that kind of stuff. We got a lot of football to talk about. Like I said, yesterday, crazy day, a lot of crazy things going on. I need to get everything that Andrew has to say about all the topics going on. So just really briefly, Andrew, what do you think was actually the craziest thing that happened yesterday? Was it the Aaron Rodgers thing? Was it the Russell Wilson thing? Were you most surprised by JC Jackson not getting franchise tagged? I'm sure that's not it, but just real quickly, what was the most surprising thing that happened to you yesterday? It was definitely the Russell Wilson trade. I kind of thought all along that Aaron Rodgers was just going to, you know, have this long, drawn-out, drama-filled process and end up staying in Green Bay because, realistically, he wasn't going to go anywhere without Devontae Adams. He's kind of hinted at such, and just who out there, really, that's ready to win has the kind of cap space to bring in Aaron Rodgers for almost $50 million with Devontae Adams for, you know, close to 30 or whatever it is that he's demanding. I don't think he'll get 30, but that is what he's demanding. The J.C. Jackson stuff, I never expected them to use the tag on him unless it was going to be a tag and trade scenario. And so, yeah, for me, definitely the Russ stuff because I actually, I kind of thought he was going to stay put in Seattle too. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, smoke about him leaving the past year or two and, you know, never really amounted to anything. I thought the only guy we were going to see get moved this offseason was probably Jimmy Garoppolo and maybe Deshaun Watson. Yeah. No, I, hey, I'm right there with you. I was actually very shocked about the Russ Wilson stuff, about where he went. I mean, I figured, I guess, any of the quarterbacks that were changing, the big names that would have been changing from the NFC, most likely would have been headed to the AFC. So I guess you had to think that that was coming. But otherwise, crazy to think that Russ Wilson was going to be one of those names. I, th- I thought, like you did, they were going to figure it out maybe in Seattle. They had a good thing going. At least he's got a couple of really good wide receivers that he could throw to. So, you know, that that is one of the craziest things that's going on. And I want to talk all about what that's actually you're going to meet, especially for the AFC and, and that division specifically when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clap. We've got Andrew on the show and we are talking everything football right now. We had a crazy day yesterday. It was the franchise tag deadline day and you would think that it was mostly revolving all around franchise tags going on players or not going on them, but no. We had one of the craziest things happen to really kind of kick off this offseason, and that is the trade of Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks to the Broncos. The Denver Broncos now have their quarterback, and they are going to be in a very tough AFC West division, along with the Chiefs and the Chargers and the Raiders as well. Uh, That stinks for you, Josh McDaniels. Sorry that you had to leave the Patriots and go, and now you're in one of the toughest divisions in all of football. But you, this crazy trade happens. Obviously, the Broncos are known for wanting to go out and get that older quarterback to try and bring him in. They didn't have anybody going for them at this point. And so they trade out uh, uh, Locke, Drew Locke, which is a nobody. They got Noah Fant, who is a decent tight end, I would say. I think there was an offensive lineman maybe as well. And then you had two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and I believe a fifth-round pick for Russell Wilson and a fourth-round pick. I, I mean, what a haul for Russell Wilson 
but would you say overall, Andrew, who do you think got the better of this deal? Who who is coming out uh, walking away with the 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 best thing going? I would have to say Denver, just because you know both teams are kind of just trying to stay relevant at this point, and that's the first step. The um, getting the franchise QB. I mean, the other side of it is that the Broncos are actually currently for sale. The franchise is for sale. So, you know, when you're in those negotiations, it suddenly becomes a lot more attractive to potential buyers when now you have some superstar quarterback. You know, it's a lot more marketable, a lot more profitable as a team than if you have Drew Locke under center. And the other thing, I mean, related but not related, and it pains me to give Roger Goodell, you know, a little tip of my cap here because I hate the guy, but he, the man is playing chess, not checkers. Look at the way the Calvin Ridley story breaks on Monday. Conveniently, you know, they've known all the, all about it for months, and conveniently it breaks the day before Rodgers resigns and the Russell Wilson trade happens. He's absolutely burying that story. Professional veteran move right there. <laughs> it's so perfect. It really is. I mean, hey, they know how to do it. You you come out with some news over the weekend and then drop something else to start off the week, or you you do it on a Friday so that nobody's even thinking about it anymore going into the weekend. You got to play all those moves. And yes, that is a good one right there. Um, and and certainly the the Broncos are getting the flashy quarterback, like you said, they're getting the franchise guy or what is supposed to be a franchise guy. But I gotta ask, or or I gotta say. I don't know how much I am convinced that Russell Wilson can still compete at an overly high level. I know that he's a good quarterback and everything like that, but I feel like he has started to show a little bit of that that longevity on his career, what he's he's been going with injuries. He's been having, I believe, hand injuries in past seasons. He's been having up and down moments overall. So, I, I mean, that, that Broncos team is good. Obviously, they have a lot of good weapons on offense, so that is going to be very flashy. And the defense was one of the more, I guess, underrated defenses in the league. But I don't know. I, I'm not totally convinced that Russ Wilson is going to be the, the Russ Wilson of old with the Seahawks. And I got to say, I'm not even convinced he's going to be the second best quarterback in that division. They now have a division where it's Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, and then, I mean, you know, the the Raiders, they got, uh, you know, Carr, but who knows what they're going to end up doing there. I'm not really, really paying attention to the Raiders at this point. The other three teams, though, very up and coming. Herbert is about to continue to progress do you think that he is going to be, or Russ Wilson is going to be able to, to really challenge for that division? It's going to be one of the toughest ones going. Are you thinking that the Broncos now have a good shot of coming out of that AFC West? I mean, if they stay healthy, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned, hey, can Russell Wilson be the Russell Wilson of old? And, you know, my thought on that is, does he really have to? You know, he's not at a team where he's has to, you know, put the entire franchise on his back and just will them to victories. He's, you know, going to a team they have a much. He's going to have a much better offensive line. Um, he doesn't have quite the same high-end talent pass catchers, but he has more pass catchers. He's got a much, much stronger running game with Javante Williams there and potentially Melvin Gordon. Very good defense. Uh, mile high is one of the best home field advantages in all of football, just because people right. go there, they get gassed. You know, it just Tom Brady even struggled there for a long time. Um, I mean, obviously, Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the division, and I do I do think Herbert is better than Russ, but I also look at just the way charge, the Chargers have done things. Just, they always seem to shoot themselves in the foot, lose close games. They just haven't done a good job of creating a winning environment for Herbert, and I think, you know, Herbert is, he's been winning and succeeding in spite of the team. 
you know, just because they can't get out of their own way. So I do think that's going to be a big factor in kind of pushing Denver up above the Chargers is just the Chargers cannot get out of their own way. Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. I'm just expecting for Herbert to continue taking that next step and that next step. So maybe not necessarily next year, but the year after that, he is going to be that much better. And that team is going to be that much better. They have some studs on that defensive side. If they can figure it out and stop, yes, like you said, shooting themselves in the foot, I would be very nervous about that Chargers team. But I got to say, it's it's overall, if we're taking it as a selfish standpoint and thinking from a Patriots standpoint with all of this, it's kind of okay that they're all in the same division, right? I know that it's another big quarterback to put in our AFC uh, you know, conference to get in the way of Mac Jones and the Patriots going into the future, but I, I don't know. If they all have to battle with each other, they're all in the same division, how many of those teams are actually going to come out of the same division and get into the playoffs? I feel like it's going to be very tough to get three teams out of there, and they're all going to be battling. They're all going to have to play each other two times a year, so who knows? Maybe they'll beat each other up. I, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but uh, you know, it's, it's a good likelihood, and maybe that's a good thing for the Patriots in the end. And I want to keep talking about the Patriots specifically and their chances in the AFC and some things that they didn't do for the franchise tag deadline. When we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. So the Patriots did not franchise tag J.C. Jackson. They did not find that to be the optimal choice for this team, where we're at with the cap space, with our roster, everything going on. We have decided to basically move on from him. I don't see any chance at all that they're going to get some kind of deal done at this point. And it also is playing off of the fact that now either J.C. Jackson or more presumably his agent has come out and made it known that he is looking for a Jalen Ramsey contract at minimum. And if you're not willing to at least give those kind of numbers, you shouldn't even show up to the table. You shouldn't even ask his opinion on what he wants to do because he's not going to look at you. So, uh, you know, we've lost out on J.C. Jackson, our number one cornerback on the team. And, and we've talked about it. Obviously, we wanted J.C. Jackson on the team, but we also don't believe that he's that number one type guy, that lockdown corner, that Jalen Ramsey contract worthy type player. So I know that we're not surprised about it. I know that we're not surprised that after this player went out and, and you know, shot his mouth off in social media land and started calling himself Mr. INT and all this stuff and asking for himself to get paid, he's no longer going to be a New England Patriot. No one's surprised by that, I don't think. But are we worried about the direction of this team now and what they're going to do, especially on the defensive side of the ball? I know that, Andrew, you've been looking into the draft and things and prospects that could be available maybe for the Patriots or for other teams or whatever and, and looking into everything going on with that. But do you think that this Patriots team now needs to look into drafting a player bringing in somebody from free agency? Do you think they should not even focus on the secondary at all and maybe shift their focus somewhere else? Where are you at now that we officially know J.C. Jackson is no longer going to be a Patriot? Well, I'm not, I mean, I, I'm about 90% sure J.C. Jackson's out the door. I'm not going to totally write off a return from him because, you know, for better or worse, this is how the Patriots always tend to do business. They let their guys go out, assess their market value, and come back to them. We saw it with Devin McCourty, we've seen it with Hightower, we've seen it you know, a few times over the years. I do think that at the end of the day, some team that's desperate is going to give J.C. a lot more money than the Patriots are willing to give him. But, you know, some guys, I've seen it happen a few times where if they get an offer, say, 
you know, twenty million dollars a year to go play for the Jets, who are going to lose, and it's just going to be a miserable time for a couple of years, and you'll probably end up being a cap casualty in two years, anyways. Or you can say take you know a slight discount to go to a team that's going to win. I don't think he's going to give much of a hometown discount, but it's definitely possible that he'll get cold feet and you know if it's only a million or two a year end up coming back to new england i do think for the most part he's gone um, i think they're going to have to look to the free agent market and i think they're going to need to draft somebody too because for the most part the corners on the market are old outside of like carlton davis who's like really the only only other like option that's approaching jc's level he's not there but he's you know he's still a pretty good guy um one thing you could see them do is attack a totally different area and just stack the front seven and just have a really ferocious pass rush. You know, there's going to be plenty of pass rushers on the market at probably, you know, somewhat of a cheap price. Somebody like Trey Flowers, because I think Detroit's going to cut him. I think he could come back on, you know, a short deal for a year or two and then just play zone on the back end with some of these older veteran corners. So we'll see how it goes, but there's definitely, they definitely have plenty of options in the secondary. And I think if JC does walk, you have to prioritize re-signing Devin McCourty to like a short-term deal. Obviously, he's getting old. You don't want to, you know, lock up too much of your free cap space in a guy like that. But at the end of the day, they're going to have a ton of options. There's a bunch of young guys in the draft, probably at least six cornerbacks in the top 50 prospects. So I'm not too worried about it at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're thinking that maybe there's a chance he's going to come back, I, I'm just I'm wondering if they burnt the bridges at this point. I know that there's reports going out there saying that you know there's no ill will from JC and he would have came and played on the franchise tag and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. At this point, it just feels like he he feels like he's been uh, you know hurt in some way by them not talking to him. So I just assume that he's out the door. But hey, maybe you're right. Maybe he's going to think about it and come back and not want to play for a crappy team. Who knows? Uh, but I, I feel like Mr. INT wants to get his money, and he's not going to get it from the Patriots, so why not move on? We're not going to give him the franchise tag. I think the franchise tag would have been the best thing for him. He could have been still on a prove-it thing with the Patriots. We would have gotten him for less money, and then he can still go out and get that big contract next year. But whatever. I'm sure somebody will pay for him. I'm sure something will happen along those lines. And and this team, I don't know. Are they going to go and, and try and find an older veteran guy? Are they going to try and bring in you know, draft players or, or uh, undrafted players and create that player into the next JC Jackson or next Malcolm Butler. I don't know what road they're going to get, but I love what you also said about switching gears to the front seven, because one of the major things that I've had an issue with for many years, I, I know that you had it as well. And many Patriots fans have had an issue with is the fact that we didn't have enough pressure coming from that front seven. I can't complain about this enough. It's the fact that they, th or if you don't have that pass rush, then you all of a sudden need these better defensive backs and these guys that can cover for as many seconds as possible. But if you were just able to get more of a pass rush, which we started to see a little bit this year when Judon was actually doing his job and didn't give up like he did near the end of the year, and then you got Barmore creating havoc up the middle, we can bring in guys around them and then get that linebacking core a little bit faster, that's probably going to be the best thing for us going forward. I know that a lot of people are looking for that next cornerback up and, and what we're going to do with that. I won't be surprised if we go out and sign somebody uh, who's got a little bit of age on them and can come in and just be smart in their area. 
play a lot of zone defense, but yes, work on that front seven, I think is the, the way to go at this point. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that they decide to do that. Now I, I'm confused and, and wondering what the whole coaching scheme still is going to be. I wanted to talk more about that. I know we've talked about that on in the past, Andrew, but we had a new quote from Phil Perry on the Patriots podcast that I wanted to go over talking about the coaching staff. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. I can just tell you, Tom, from, from talking to some people here, some folks around the league, people are flabbergasted <laughs> at how this Patriot staff has come together. And it's focused on that offensive side specifically and what they're going to do in terms of coaching the quarterback and, and calling the plays. And there is clearly a lot of respect for Bill Belichick and there is somewhat of a sense of well it's Bill and he'll figure it out and they'll figure it out but the qualifications of some of the guys Joe Judge specifically but Matt Patricia too and the jobs that it sounds like that they're going to be in coaching quarterbacks and coaching offensive line if that's how it shakes out there's a lot of eyebrows raised here in Indianapolis all right, so teams and uh, and management groups and coaches around the league apparently think that the Patriots, uh, what they're doing is flabbergasting. I, I, they, they're surprised. There's a lot of people talking about it at the combine. You just heard the clip from Phil Perry talking on the pod, the Patriots podcast uh, with Tommy Curran and saying that there's there's you know coaches around the league that are looking at what the Patriots are doing right now with their coaching staff and wondering what the heck it is they're doing. We're hearing things like maybe Patriots uh, Bill Belichick is going to be possibly uh, play or playing a bigger role with calling plays on both sides of the ball, which I found a little bit interesting. And we are, you know, going to the season with Matt Patricia, Patricia in a big offensive role, but without that offensive coordinator role. And then you have Joe Judge as well, maybe working with the quarterbacks or the offensive line or whatever it is. So I got to ask again, Andrew. At this point in the season, are, are we should we be worried about the fact that even all the other teams or all these other coaches are starting to notice how crazy it is this this style that the team is going to go into? Are you worried about Bill going into his seventieth year of life and taking on more of a role with the Patriots, possibly on both sides of the ball, or or do you think that this might be just a little hearsay at this point? Where are you at with that? I think it's a little bit of hearsay. I, I just I don't see him being that involved on offense in addition to head coaching duties, and he's clearly going to have his hand in the defense too. I mean, there just aren't enough hours in the week for him to do it all. I know there's some people that are a little alarmed at the coaching staff and how it stands right now, but you know the Patriots have always been notoriously slow at filling out their staff when they do have those types of openings, and you know it it's a bunch of nobodies on the staff right now, but, you know, at one, at one point in time, Josh McDaniels was a nobody too, you know? Like, we have no idea how they feel about some of these coaches internally that they've been grooming. I'm blanking on his name right now, but the tight ends coach, who might be one of the guys calling plays, hey, maybe that's for the best, because you have a tight end that you're paying $12.5 million a year to when Johnny Smith, and you got nothing out of him last year. So maybe that helps yeah. unlock the offense a little bit. You don't know how anybody is as a play caller until they're a play caller, so... 
I'm willing to, you know, sit back and reserve judgment until I see exactly how it all plays out. No, I, I agree if that is the case. And obviously the Patriots have done that a lot in the past. They've been able to do that with coaches. They've been able to do that with players. And though some people are still trying to talk about how the Patriots are acting as if they're the Tom Brady Patriots still, as if they can do whatever they want and Tom will cover all the issues as a Band-Aid would, but I don't honestly believe that. I, I I purely just don't think that Bill is going to bring us into a season. I don't think he's gone senile or anything. I don't think the man is crazy at this point. He's got no dementia or anything like that. I think he is ready to go, and he's ready to prove that he can do it again. So I fully believe that he's going to be able to do that. Whether it's with no names or not, I know that there's still positions to fill. But, you know, he's going to figure it out. I know it's that that's a in Bill we trust Homer thing to say, but whatever. I don't even care what anyone thinks. That's how I feel. But speaking of some positions to fill, we do have the other side of the ball or the other side from the coaching, and that's a player standpoint that needs to be filled. I'm talking about the wide receivers. We're still needing somebody to go along with Mac Jones. They still don't have a number one wide receiver, and I'm hearing things all over the place. Now I'm seeing weird little rumors about, you know, Amari Cooper, which I don't believe, or or what I'm hearing new about Allen Robinson, things like that. But there was also the big situation, a receiver that we talked about recently as maybe somebody that the team could go after, in Calvin Ridley, who is now suspended for the entire next season season due to his gambling habits that he had on the game so I, I mean first of all he took off time because he had mental issues and then it comes out that he's gambling so then he gets suspended that's not going to be an option for the Patriots anymore but I'm hoping that we're going to have some options coming up now first of all Andrew I do want to hear what you think about the Calvin Ridley situation just briefly but also there were some other receivers that were brought in by the Patriots in this upcoming draft that I know you've done some research on this Chris Olave kid Traylon Burks and then Alabama's Jamison Williams first of all what do you think about the uh, the Calvin Ridley situation then secondly of those three guys who were you most impressed by who do you want the Patriots to go after so as far as Ridley's concerned, my whole thought is the entire thing's overblown. It's not like it's games that he was playing in. I mean, I understand, like, the way it looks, you know, just the optics of it. You know, he bet $1,500. I know exactly what he bet. He bet, like, an 18 parlay, which tells me he's just a dude watching Red Zone like the rest of us, having a couple of beers and just, you know, trying to make a few bucks ripping a parlay, you know? And it's not like he, it's not like he bet against his team. He bet his team to win, which makes it kind of even more of a non-factor because it's like, all right, he doesn't have, like, inside info that they're going to throw the game right. or anything like that. And he's not running some kind of some kind of scam. Like, the guy just threw in a parlay on a Sunday because he was bored. I mean, let him live a little bit. But yeah, so I, I understand, you know, they're trying to nip the whole thing in the bud and he's going to be out for a year. And, I mean, you have to be smarter than that realistically. Use a buddy's phone, use a yeah. burner phone, anything like that. Like, I mean, it's actually probably the worst bet in betting history when you look at it. Because he bet $1,500 and lost $11 million by not playing. So, yep. you know, there's that whole thing. So, yeah, as you said, he's no longer an option for the Patriots. And, you know, they're going to be looking at some younger guys. I know you, we've talked a little bit about Amari Cooper. I think he'd be a perfect fit here. But as far as the draft of the three guys they brought in, I mean, I think they ended up meeting with just about every prospect at the combine but the three big names were Chris Olave from Ohio State, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, and Jamison Williams from Alabama. I've gone over pretty much all of the receivers that are going to be taken in the top 100. 
I think all three of those guys are good options. I'm not crazy about Chris Olave at pick 21. I know he, his highlight reels look good, his film look good, everything like that. You know, there's a whole other side to it. I think he's probably, if I had to grade him, I would give him an early second round grade. I still think he's going to be, you know, a pretty solid NFL player, but he projects to be a guy on the perimeter and he's a little bit undersized for that. He's not somebody who's going to play through contact and that's kind of something that you need to be as an ex-receiver in the NFL. As far as Trey Lombarks and Jamison Williams, I absolutely love them both. They are two totally different players. I mean, obviously anybody who's watched them play is like they're polar opposites. I know Traylon Burks was initially thought he wouldn't be available when the Patriots pick at 21. It's starting to look like he might be because he didn't have the greatest day at the um, NFL Combine. His numbers came in, his testing numbers came in a little slower than everybody expected, but you know, he's about the size of A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel, and he ran his 40 in about the same time that they did too, so I'm not really concerned about his speed. Um, he was actually clocked last year in-game at 22.6 miles per hour, which is faster than anybody in the entire NFL ran last year in a game. So I'll take a freak on the field over a freak in the underwear Olympics any day of the week. But if that, hey, if that causes him to tumble down the draft board to 21 into the Patriots' laps, and I know people have, like, you know, Nikhil Harry, trauma, they're traumatized from that pick yeah. or whatever, but Traylon Burks is an entirely different animal than that. To switch gears over to Jamison Williams, uh, Jamison Williams, he is just pure speed, uh, great route runner. There's, you know, not much that he can't do. He contributes on special teams both as a gunner and as a kick returner, which you know that's the way to... Bill Belichick's icy little heart over there. He did tear his ACL at the end of the college season, so he's, his availability for week one is definitely in question. He probably won't be ready until maybe October at the earliest to be fully healthy, but he's the type of talent where if it's not for that ACL tear, he's not even in the discussion at 21. He's going you know, early teens, maybe top 10. So I think if he, if he slides to you at 21, you run to the podium and make that selection. And that's the guy that we expect them to get then, right? At this point, that's just what the Patriots will do. They'll always go for the guy that's going to slide, and so I'm on board with that 100%. Uh, but let's, uh, let's, let's move on topics now, though, from all of that. We have one more thing we want to talk about in the NFL. We're going to do that after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. All right, so we were finishing up the last segment talking about some of the younger wide receivers coming into the NFL. I got Andrew here talking about it with me. We're talking about who the Patriots could go after. We obviously still need a number one wide receiver on this team, somebody to pair with Mac Jones, and you would hope that it would be somebody a little bit younger, obviously a young quarterback. You give him a young guy to play with, and so that's why we're thinking about some of these guys in the draft, and hopefully after the Patriots have shown interest in basically every single, like Andrew said, every single wide receiver option out there, they're going to try and take at least one of them. We'll see how things go. Uh but there's some other guys. There's some other guys out there. There's some things that have been going on. I talked about it a couple segments ago. We talked about the Amari Cooper situation going on with the Dallas Cowboys. It seems as though they have to move on from him, though they probably don't want to because he is still a very solid wide receiver. And the Patriots would be in the mix most likely for a player like that. I believe I've seen comments out there that Bill Belichick believes he could be a true number one wide receiver and things along those lines. But we have some other wide receivers in the mix as well. And we've talked about these guys before. Obviously, you know, when Andrew and I talked about this before, we also included Calvin Ridley in the situation. As we talked about in the last segment, that is no longer available. So at this point, 
after you've seen things like the the Amari Cooper situation uh, playing out, and then now we've heard things about Allen Robinson, a little bit of a, you know smoke where there's fire kind of thing about how the Patriots had been interested in him before, but the Bears went out and franchise tagged him so they couldn't go after him. Do you think that there's any likelihood to either one of those scenarios happening, Andrew? Or do you think that we also saw Robbie Anderson as a possible trade opportunity as well? Do you think that the Patriots are more likely to go after one of those players? Or do you feel like they'll go after the, the young wide receivers? Where are you at with that? I mean, I think they'll definitely kick the tires on one of those veteran guys just because they're going to come in, they're going to be ready to hit the ground running day one. There's no time for them to develop or, you know, get adjusted to the pro game, anything like that. So I think that's definitely going to be what their aim is. Um, the question, as always, is going to be, is the money right? What's the money? Um, Allen Robinson, you know, maybe after a down year, you can get him on a one-year, you know, $10, $11, 12000000 million deal just as he tries to rebuild his value. Um, Amari Cooper, obviously, he's going to be a bit more expensive than that. I think I think he's a perfect fit for the Patriots offense, a perfect X receiver for what they want to do. He runs the entire route tree. Um, I think, you know, if they could get him in here for 15 to $16 million per year, I think they would do it. Um, and I actually just realized this the other day when looking into a few things with Amari, is he's, he's actually only six months older than Calvin Ridley, believe it or not even though it seems like he's been around forever. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I wouldn't have thought that either. And I, I 100% would love to be able to do the Amari Cooper situation. I don't know. There's just something about when you hear about these bigger name wide receivers and it's Bill Belichick looking, you're going to end up with the guy that's more like Robbie Anderson than the guy that's like Amari Cooper. I, I That's just how I always feel that that's going to be. It's going to be the guy that nobody really was either thinking of or nobody really wanted or whatever, and Bill thinks that he can make him work in his system. So I don't know. I would absolutely love it to get Amari Cooper. I would absolutely love it to get an Allen Robinson, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's somebody we haven't even been talking about yet that comes off of a of, of the books for another team and and the the team is able to go in and they get them because they weren't able to spend enough money to keep that player whatever it is the situation happens I fully expect that to be the situation but that is you know there's other teams around that are going through some other wild crazy contract situations the last real thing that I wanted to talk to you about Andrew was this whole Aaron Rodgers situation they he has gotten what is talked about as being the most lucrative contract for a quarterback. The initial reports were four years, 200 million with, I believe 153 million guaranteed something ridiculous. He's going to be making 50 million a year, uh, all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden I hear, I see a tweet of, of Aaron Rodgers coming out and talking about, Whoa, now hold on. I am going to be signing with them, but that's not the actual deal. That's not the contract. So first of all, what did you think when you initially heard the size of this contract and do you believe that it's going to be as big as it is after you heard what Aaron Rodgers had to say in that tweet? I mean, I just think the entire thing, not not even just today, this whole saga has just become, you know, what what is typical of Aaron Rodgers these days. It's just everything's about me, the headlines, and, you know, I, I just look at that contract and I'm like, how are they possibly going to make that work with, you know, Devontae Adams also? And it's like, well, I know how they're going to make it work. It's going to be you know, minimal cap hits right now so that he's able to, you know, have some other talent on the team. And that deal is going to be so backloaded or even potentially have a ton of void years on it to where that franchise is going to be an absolute mess when he's gone, probably for a couple of years, barring something absolutely crazy going on where the cap goes like 
completely through the roof. I mean, you just there's a reason why you don't see those kinds of deals, and when you do, you don't also see a mega deal for a receiver come with it, which that, make no mistake, that Devontae Adams deal, that is coming, absolutely. Oh yeah, you have to pair them, right? That That's, uh, you know, Batman and Robin right there. They're not, you're not going to split those two guys up. They were going to go wherever the other one went. That's just how that was working. And it's just crazy to me to think that after, like you said, all, all the things that we've heard about them being the turmoil within the locker room, the turmoil between him and the head coach and all this stuff and how they just are butting heads, you just thought that maybe he was going to leave somebody who was going to have to leave town and and it most likely was going to be Aaron Rodgers I was surprised that they went to this point but I guess they've mended fences they figured it all out they have Devontae Adams on the the franchise tag they're gonna yeah they're gonna try and move things around the cap is always very interesting when we get into the NFL and the way that they're able to move things around on the books but I don't know it's it's uh Shocking to me that that story has ended this way. We'll see if it continues uh, good going forward or if they'll go right back into this whole, you know, he said, she said bickering thing that they had going on. I don't know. Also, I know that there's a lot of Packers fans out there that weren't happy with the way that the season ended. And on top of everything else, there was, you know, the COVID stuff and all that kind of stuff. So who knows what's actually going to happen with that situation. I'll be shocked to see it end well. Uh, in any sense there, but uh, that's going to do it for the NFL topics that we got going on here. We're going to switch it up when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. All right, I know I said that we were done with the NFL in the last segment, but there's been something that's been brought to my attention that I didn't even remember about yesterday that happened, and that was when Phil Perry actually came out and talked about the fact that there is a chance that J.C. Jackson could maybe come back to the Patriots. And we were talking about this earlier, you know, in an earlier segment, and Andrew had brought it up that, you know, maybe he was 90% sure that he was leaving, but a 10% chance that he wasn't. And so I know that there was some, some comments that had happened. Actually, Andrew, if you could, if you could read to us what had happened with the Phil Perry situation, because that is something worth noting before we stop our NFL topic. So this is what Phil Perry said, apparently. All right. So basically he was asked the question, will J.C. Jackson return to the Patriots? Um, he mentions that he spoke with J.C. and he thinks it's you know probably a safe bet that J.C. plays elsewhere in 2022. But he says J.C. has not ruled out a return to the Patriots yet. And that is huge for the Patriots' chances of keeping him because if he's he's seemingly already having second thoughts about leaving, you know, maybe his confidence isn't really there that he's going to be as good of a player in another system without Bill Belichick game planning for him, you know. Um, and maybe he just wants to offer a little bit of a hometown discount. Maybe he's happy being here and just doesn't want the change of scenery. You know, there's a lot of factors at play. Um, so I think the fact that he's seemingly already having a little bit of doubt or a little bit of second thoughts, I think that bodes very well for the Patriots. Although I do think he ultimately goes somewhere else. But hey, they're leaving the light, leaving the light on for him. And that's huge. Crazy to think. Honestly, crazy to think that that's where we're at. And maybe it is like what you were saying before about how who wants to go and play for the crappy like a Jets team. And yeah, you got your contract, but then in a couple of years, that team doesn't even watch anymore because they're not vying for any type of real legitimate season. So you're not going to get to do anything. Maybe he has gotten used to being able to at least be competitive, which the Patriots are still competitive regardless of what anyone else says out there. And so I don't know. Maybe that maybe he's willing to do that. Like you said, though, I, I agree. I think that most likely he's not going to stick around 
around. But the fact that he's even leaving the the option there means that, I don't know, maybe he's not getting the reception that he wanted from, from other teams who, who he's probably already tampering with him, you know, out there talking about who they're, who's going to be willing to give him a Ramsey-type deal. Maybe the market isn't as big as he originally thought, and maybe he has to start thinking about coming back. I doubt it. But who who knows? It's it's worth thinking about, and uh, you know because there there are many options that can happen out there, and it could be signing with the Patriots, you know. But I doubt it. I doubt it. But everyone has to take their uh, you know their licks every once in a while. They had to come back from what they originally thought they were going to be able to do. Maybe that's where he's at. But I want to talk about somebody else in, in another league. I should say right now, real quickly with Andrew. I got Andrew in here. We've talked about this a little bit before. But there's a league that also should be thinking about maybe coming back off of their original stance, and that's the MLB at this point. You know, we're we're still in, at this time, a place where we are not ready to start an MLB season yet. They are still arguing about whether or not they're going to start even in April, I believe, at this point. It, it may not be until May that you start this season of baseball. And I, and I wanted to get Andrew's opinions on everything that was going on because, you know, we saw that they were having meetings up until a certain point. They had a certain targeted deadline before, you know, they were going to have to start canceling games. All of a sudden that gets pushed back. Then you have the owners coming out and saying that there was nothing that they could do. They tried to do all these things. They tried to implement a bunch of changes, which apparently the MLB and the MLB Players Association both agreed on, which I don't know if you've heard this yet, Andrew, but they're talking about getting rid of the shift. They're talking about giving you the the pitch clock that we've all wanted for so long. So are you shocked that we're still at a point where we're talking about the bickering between the players and the owners? Or are you not so surprised that the MLB has done this to themselves and they're not even going to be ready to play baseball anytime soon? Uh, You know, it seems at any time in the future. Honestly, I'm not surprised at all. I just, I think MLB as a league, the you know, the owners, commissioner, everybody, I just think they're so tone deaf to what's actually, you know, going on with their fan base. I mean, obviously, it's no secret that they're not attracting new fans, um, you know, and when it comes to stuff like that, it's adapt or die. And, you know, when they start talking about, like, banning the shift and stuff like that, like, yeah, you, you need to make some changes, but that's not it. I mean, you know, to jump back to NFL real quick, are we going to start you know, banning, you know, two high safeties because Patrick Mahomes struggled with it all year? Like, is that right. is that what we're doing now? We're just going to cater the rules because guys can't perform? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, the pitch clock, absolutely, it's a good idea. Um, they need to start marketing their stars. They need to, you know, let these guys' personalities come out a little bit too. You know, let them celebrate a bit. That's what's going to get the younger generation into the game because it's no secret that, you know, their fans are mostly, you know, a dying out generation. They're old. And they're not, it's just, I don't know, I, I just don't understand how they're not able to see that and realize that, like, you know, you're going to lose a lot of fans probably for good if you don't get this resolved soon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're arguing and bickering. You're going to cancel parts of the season. And then on top of it, you're changing the game. So even the diehards are getting pissed. You're just pissing everybody off at this point. That's I mean, there's nobody left that isn't going to be mad at what the MLB is doing. It's crazy to think. And yeah. Even when you get the exciting moments of the game, like you said, it's it's unwritten rules of baseball that don't allow players to you know celebrate their home runs or you know a pitcher will get too mad and he'll have to start throwing at people's heads or something. It, it's like they shoot themselves in the foot so often. Why don't they understand it? You've heard it from every single angle now, MLB and players. I, I don't know. It, it's crazy to think that th- that we've reached this point and they still can't get anything done. I, I figure it out. It, you're an eleven billion dollar industry. You guys don't want to get paid. You don't want to go play. 
Figure something out. It, both sides. Figure something out. All right. This was a great conversation with Andrew. I just wanted to say thank you for coming on. We're going to have you on in the future again. Obviously, we got the draft will eventually be coming up, so I want to talk to you more about that. He gets very in-depth with his draft coverage. Andrew, one more time, where do you write for your blogs and everything? Where do you put out most of your information? Just plug yourself real quick before you go. You can find me on, on Twitter at Patriots underscore Andrew. I do a ton of draft threads on you know some of the prospects. I did Jamison Williams the other day, a little film breakdown on him. Um, John Mechie as well, his teammate from Alabama. Most of the longer, more in-depth blogs are going to be at patsbuzz.com. I mean, you can find, I link to them from my page all the time. So just find me on Twitter and you'll find all my stuff. Perfect. That's great, man. And we will have you on again in the future. I appreciate you coming on. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Claptrap after this. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clap. It's finally time, Blank Frank. Your segment is here. I'm ready to talk about the Bruins and their trade options coming up. I mean, we have the game that happened the other night in which it was a very close loss for the team, a a game in which you should not have lost, if we're being honest, to the LA Kings, a team that you dismantled 7 to nothing a a week or so ago. And now they come into your building, they're able to make that comeback, and they're able to beat you in overtime. I don't think it should have happened. I thought that Olmark had a great game, was standing on his head, and didn't deserve that outcome because now all the Olmark haters are going to continue to hate, especially against him, because of just a a performance that it's not on him in that scenario. But anyways, the real topic that I want to talk about in this segment, specifically for Blank Frank, buddy, I I hope that you're out there listening still. Because I know that you just desperately want so much Bruins talk on this channel at all times. That's I, I know that's what you're doing. But I've, I've researched into it. I've gone out and I found a couple of players that I think that the Bruins are going to be willing to go after. It's been reported. I've been reading up on this, doing my research. And I think I found some guys to go after, you know, and, and, and both of these guys that I'm about to talk about are on the Vancouver Canucks, a team that was up until recently thought to be a, a very selling team on this season. They were thought that they were out of the playoffs and they have somewhat gotten themselves back into it. So unfortunately, a little bit of this is going to be dependent on how they do over the next week or so. If they can continue to go on their their current streak, which they're seven and three in their last 10 games. Uh, Who knows? Maybe they're going to be able to climb back into a spot. Right now, they're five points back of the second wildcard spot in the Western Conference. So, uh, who knows? Maybe maybe the Canucks will turn into buyers instead of sellers. But if they stay in the seller market, which a lot of people are starting to think of, including Jimmy Murphy, a a guy from Boston Boston Hockey Now, wrote an article about possibilities of Bozer and Garland being options for the Bruins to go after. He said that though the JT Miller situation became too high, the the price was too high to acquire JT Miller. uh, Instead, now it is believed that the Bruins are going to be targeting both Bozer and Garland, both forwards that have been involved in trade rumors for some time now, though the Canucks have been slightly hesitant to move them just because the, the fact that they've gotten themselves back into the playoff race, just as I was just saying, it seems as though Don Sweeney is looking out and trying to gauge interest in those players, and and the Bruins could be going after them. we got to figure out a price still of what is going to be asked for these types of players, but I was looking into them, seeing which of the two that I would rather. I mean, now, they're both 25-year-old right wings, so... 
This isn't something that I've really talked about on the show where we need another right winger. Obviously, we've shown or been been seeing that with players going down from injury and you having to move up guys like Jake DeBrus to the first line, things like that. The team is still a little bit low on the depth chart from right a right wing standpoint. You you found that out when Marshan went down, right? They, they they were kind of clamoring for a right wing to fill in that position, though we didn't do too bad in his stupid, stupid six-game suspension. Can't complain about that enough. But you have a guy like Connor Garland, who is the smaller of the two. He's 5'10", listed at 165. He has played a year less than uh, than Bozer has played, Brock Bozer. And he is a, the lesser of the score. So uh, in in all honesty, this is the player that I would want them to go after least just because of his ability so far that he's produced over his four-year NHL career, most of which was played with the Arizona Coyotes. He is not necessarily the guy that's going to come in here and change things up in your top six forwards. But I got to say, Brock Bozer, if I'm pronouncing that name right, this guy could be huge for this team. This guy is 6'1", listed at 208, so a bigger, bruising right winger. He's played, like I said, now this is his sixth season in the NHL, been playing since he was 19 years old. He's 25 now. He's played with the Vancouver Canucks the entire time, and he's shown that he can be a goal scorer. In his second year in the NHL, he had 29 goals, 26 assists. Third year, 26 goals, 30 assists. And then last year, he also had 23 goals, 20 assists, 26 assists. So the guy is a 2020 type of score, type of producer for a possible Bruins team that needs a little bit more depth at that right wing spot. So those are a couple of guys that I wanted to go after. Another one that I've been seeing some interesting rumors about, and I would be shocked if this, this actually happened, but I would love it at the same time. We're starting to hear things about P.K. Subban being offered up because the New Jersey Devils are not going after him for next season. They're not going to bring him back. So I know he's aging. I know he's not what he used to be, but that's another left left shot defenseman, a puck moving defenseman, not the defensive defenseman that I've been clamoring for this entire season, but it could be an option for the Bruins to go after. How exciting would that be to bring in a PK Subban top player? And I don't care how annoyed you used to get with him when he was on the Canadians. I don't care what you think of him as a person or anything like that. Think about the Bruins right now and what this team can use, what could spark some extra interest going forward with this team. Having a defensive player like that that can create a lot of offense as well, I know it doesn't fix the issue that I've been complaining about, and I know that they've been blowing games late, which would mean that they need more defense. When you give up goals in the last minute of the game, one of the things that you have to look at is the defensive defenseman. P.K. Subban is not necessarily going to be that. I'm not going to say that he can't play defense, but he's obviously going to be brought in here more for the offensive statistics rather than just a full-time left-shot defensive defenseman. I'm talking some six-foot-four beast of a man that can just dominate somebody and take players out of the game. This isn't what you're going to get from P.K. Subban, but what you can get on the other side of the puck and his ability to move, skate, do all of that is going to be big, I think, for the team if you go after him. Now, I don't think it's going to happen. I just want to reiterate that fact. But if he, if he, if you were going after a defenseman, that's not the worst one that you could go after, depending on the price, depending on what you would have to give up for a player like that. But knowing that the Devils are not going after him for next season... He's going to be available. So we'll see how that goes. So, Blank Frank, how was that? Uh, short, quick, to the point. I know you want more, but now we're going to move on to the Celtics. So keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Claptrap after this. 
The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. What a win it was for that Celtics team on Sunday against the Nets. What a win it was for Jason Tatum and his crazy performance that he had going toe-to-toe with Kevin Durant and proving that he was the better man on the floor. They were the better team overall. It was it was great. It was a great overall team performance. You had all five starters scoring in double figures. Everyone was producing. I was very happy by all the performances. You didn't have any crazy, uh, you know, down performances, I would say, by a team, other than, I guess, the fact that the defense wasn't that overall dominating the way that we normally see them. But when you're going up against a team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and, and you're thinking that you're going to go in there and just completely shut them down, that's not going to happen. You even had guys like LaMarcus Aldridge kind of stepping up for the Nets, trying to do something in that bench unit, but it wasn't enough for them. I was just impressed, though, overall, by Tatum's ability to not only do what he did, scoring 54 points in the game, but to do it with such efficiency. He was 14 of 17 from free throw, from the free throw line, I should say. He was attacking the basket when he needed to. He was, you know, shooting when it was appropriate to do it. He was 8 of 15 from three-point range, so obviously he was on fire as well. And that all kind of attributes to the home factor as well. I'm not going to try and say that it doesn't, but man, for anybody who's been like me, who was so down on this team for the first couple of months of the season, who was ready to say or question the fact of whether they could even win in a play-in tournament game, they've clearly come back from that now. And, and I've been talking about how the only thing that I'm worried about at this point is their shortened bench unit because of what that can do to the team overall by the time you get to the playoffs, their fatigue level, their stamina. Is it going to still be there when they can get to that moment and they have to really prove it for a seven-game series again and again and again on a run? Are they going to be able to do that? I think that they will, at least dependent upon the first couple of matchups. Eventually, though, I think that will catch up to them. So I'm not expecting this team to be a conference-winning team. I'm certainly not expecting them to win in the finals or get to even the finals, but they've they've changed it. They've changed the entire storyline of the season. I went into the season thinking that they were a sixth seed at best just because of how the rest of the teams shaped up in the NBA, the way that everyone else seemed to get better, and yet the Celtics stayed the same that they were, or they got a little bit worse from players that they got rid of, and then you bring in some random guys, guys like Dennis Schroeder, and you bring in uh, you know the Richardsons of the world, and you think that, okay, maybe you got something off the bench too, but those guys aren't really working out. I, I know that Richardson was starting to play really well, but... You go at the trade deadline, you go out and get an amazing player in Derek White who completely changes that bench unit for you, in my opinion. You've finally got somebody who can change it up, change the momentum of the game coming off of the bench when it used to be a Marcus Smart who is now in the starting lineup. You now have Derek White to come off the bench, and the kid just plays fast. I love I love his style of play. I can't say it enough that I've been talking about this entire time. The way he runs the ball, the way his defense is tenacious. He can still shoot the three a little bit, but his passing is great as well. I've just been very impressed by him overall. So great job by Brad Stevens getting in Derek White, a guy that he knew was going to be able to play in the Ime Odoka system. He's worked with Odoka before. He's, he's great in that sense. I'm not going to tell you that he played a great game in the Nets game, but... He has been doing so much to change the overall mentality of this team. And you know what? They have a chance now 
to do some damage in the playoffs. I think that depending upon who they get matched up with, right now it will be the Bulls in the first round because the Bulls have come back down to earth, actually have kind of fallen off completely, going 5-5 five and five in their last 10. But if they go up against a Bulls team in that first series, it's going to be interesting to see. I would really hope that they can jump over them and get to the four seed because a playoff series at home is still going to be so crucial to the Celtics squad. You can't tell me anything else, green teamers. I know you've gotten very excited by what this team has been able to do and, and look at where they're at now and all this kind of stuff. But Man, if they don't get a home playoff series, I still think it is going to be a struggle against a possible Bulls team. Now, I don't know. They could, the Bulls could completely fall off here. They could continue down this rabbit hole. But the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Heat, they're certainly not falling off. They are certainly getting they're, – they're getting stronger, as I would see it. Uh, certainly, the Sixers are. They, are. they are pulling their stuff together. They're figuring it out. But, man, I, I'm just impressed. I'm impressed by this Celtics squad. I think everyone is at this point, especially if you think back to about a month ago where this team was at now where they're they're at now after going on this crazy run they're at 39 and 27 on the record of the year their fifth place they finally moved over those Cavaliers overachievers and they and, and you know teams like the Nets the Raptors the Hornets have all fallen well down below us it's interesting it's it's interesting to see that they were able to change this all around and Tatum is becoming more of a more of a superstar every single day. He was obviously a superstar going in, but this specific run, this little stretch that he's been going on, where he's leading the league in the amount of points per game that he's been scoring and and just dominating, showing that he is maturing, playing more defense, things like that. Oh, it's it's impressive. It's 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 a good time to be a Boston Celtics fan. If you want to yell at me for my earlier takes in the season, that's fine. But I just don't, I don't know. I, I Back then, you couldn't have seen this coming. Now we are where we are, made great trades at the deadline, shortened up the bench, and they're doing the work that they should. They're beating the teams that they should, and they're beating some of the teams that would give them a harder time normally. So, very impressive. We still got to see what this team can end up doing in the playoffs. I'm still a little bit worried about that fatigue factor. I'm not going to lie. Like I said, the fatigue factor I think is real, but we'll see how things go. All right. That'll do it for today's episode. I just want to say thank you to everyone tuning in on WKKL. This will all be up as a podcast. Wherever podcasts are found, search The Claptrap. You'll find it Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever they are. You can listen to us there. Had a great interview with Andrew talking everything about the Patriots and the NFL that's been going on. A lot of crazy stuff been going on over the last day or so. And so tune in for that. We're also up on Twitter and Instagram at The Claptrap. We have a big guest coming on Friday. We got Big Tone coming in to talk college basketball. So I hope you guys are ready for some college basketball talk going into the March Madness tournament that's coming up. I'm excited for that. Looking forward to it. So I'll be back on Friday to talk to everybody. And I hope that you guys have a great rest of your week. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative.